You are listening to episode 247 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we search for a reason not to leave Mario to his fate in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we played some Mario is Missing on the Nintendo. I would the use NES. the term played lightly. Played <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We learned on the Nintendo. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk a little bit about Mario is Missing, uh, an educational game on the uh, well Nintendo console, the original. And we'll get to that in our inflation deflation segment. But first, you can find us on the Game Deflators podcast dot com which is not actually our website it's gameflators.com uh but you can find the game deflators on the gameflators.com you can find us on social media at the game deflators on instagram and facebook you can find us at game deflators on x because it's no longer twitter it's x and uh of course the podcast app you are listening to right now go ahead and leave us a five-star review and i don't know listen to us on another app too see how you like that one i hope that there's a racer x twitter account and they're taking advantage of this situation right now in some way if there isn't we should make it i'm gonna look there's gotta be racer I, is cool i would assume there is a racer x twitter account there's almost a twitter account for everything out there i mean an x account what what the hell dude i don't get it like what was up with that change i need to read into it have you uh i mean it's just i mean it still is like twitter.com but it's got an x now yeah, I because a million people own X, I guess. That's what I was reading. We don't have to understand it. Yeah, we just uh, the link still works. <laughs> we post stuff on there. Just just go on there. We post things. All right. Uh, Do we have a threads? A threads? Yeah. The hell's a threads like? Oh, dude, come on. You're the marketing guy. But dude, I mean, what the hell threads is the Facebook version of Twitter? The, the Zuck launch that's linked to your Instagram. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, we'll have one. I mean, dude, I that's not the type of marketing I usually do. <laughs> like, the people I market to are not on, they're on LinkedIn. <laughs> they're not on Twitter and Facebook. Mm. So, yeah, that's my primary. And they're in educational uh, publications mm. and stuff. So, totally different audience. But I will look at threads and we will see what this is and and why I need to spend more of my time on my phone. All right, pickups. Uh Dungeons and Dragons Bedlam and Neverwinter board games. So, I got that as a birthday present from our good friend Joel and Jenny. Is that like another big box with a bunch of pieces in it? Well, so I did and get like the big box. Book? Uh n- kind of. So, this to me feels like Clue but D&D style and it has three acts that you're supposed to go through. And each of those acts is 90 minutes, apparently, like mm-hmm. estimated gameplay time. I haven't dove into it. I just kind of opened up the box. It's got some mini figures in there, uh, which is kind of cool. And which means I kind of want to paint them because it makes sense to paint them, even though they're like all different colors, unless the rules specifically state like, oh, this character should be red. This one's yellow, etc. I might do like some no. if I do paint them, I'll do like some item, like some coloring that is kind of obvious, right? Like oh, they have a yellow shirt, right? So you would know that that character's yellow or they have a red Yeah, I think they just give you minifigures and you can paint them. 
I don't know. They're colored, man. So it's like, you know, it's, it could be, you could I don't know. I need to the read base. the whole book. Yeah. Meet the true. whole person and just leave the base. No, because I want to put them on a little black base and all that. And we'll see. I'll let you know. I'm not sure. You could paint the rim of the base. Ah, good point. I could paint the rim of the base. We'll see. I will let you know. Gotcha, boy. Maybe red is a lava base and a blue is an ice base. You see? You see what we're doing here, Ryan? All right. So I got that. I also picked up some magic cards. So um, just to kind of continue my thing, I looked ahead and we're going to talk about this a little later, right? But I looked ahead at some of the sets coming out and knowing what was in particular sets when they came out originally, there's a few remastered sets that are going to come out like Ravnica remastered, which I imagine maybe will be, I don't know if it'll be modern or what, but there are certain cards that'll be re-released that are very compatible with what I'm buying right now in standard. So looking ahead, I'm like, okay, knowing that's going to be out, I think this could be a combo down the road. So let me spec a little bit. So I've been doing some spec buys. Uh, some of them I've actually hit on slightly. Like I bought a card the other day that was like 60 cents a piece and it shot up to like $3. So not too Did bad. You sell now? No, I'm going to use it. So that's why I bought it. I was intending on using it and then it shot up in value. So that's pretty cool. Um, that was it for pickups. I don't think I, I didn't have any video games that came in. Um, oh no, you know what I did do? I pre-ordered, um, let me look up the name of it here. I think I showed it to you. Um, I think it's this one. I don't think we talked about it. There was, um, some game. There, there's a, um, a D and D five E campaign setting that is, I might've already talked about this. Oh, the but, one that you sent me this yeah, week that you did the uh, Kickstarter for. Yeah. Yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah. So it's supposed to be like a mix of studio Ghibli meets uh legend of Zelda in terms of like visuals and artwork and whatnot. And, uh, you're on this Island called Obojima. And so the whole campaign setting is on Obojima. And it deals with like spirits and magic and potions and all this other stuff. Uh, it comes out September of 2024. It just launched on Kickstarter like five days ago. And it's already up to like 800 and something thousand dollars on their Kickstarter. Like it's ridiculous, dude, how much money that they've gotten us. Um, so I ordered the hardcover with a free PDF that comes with it. So I don't know, you know, if you're interested in it or Joel's interested in it, I may, you know, give you guys a copy of PDF. Maybe I'll just print the PDF. I don't know um maybe so that's what i get it bound yeah oh maybe i can get a rebound <laughs> yeah so i did pick up that uh so i don't know man i'm kind of like do i i want to do dark souls if you guys after um strixhaven like i'm thinking that's what i want to do but i don't know how long that's going to be and that's gonna be a pretty deep homebrew with a lot of lore tied to dark souls the other component is obojima and I imagine I'll be done with Strixhaven in September of 2024. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure yet what I want to do, but like both seem very appealing to me. The other option, of course, is just to go back to uh, one of the pre-made campaigns that Wizards has released in 5e, like a you know Dungeon of the Mad Mage or whatever, uh, and play through that. But then again, I you know, we have Joel playing and he usually reads all of these books in advance. So I kind of feel like I need to play something that he hasn't read yet. Um, so he's a little more surprised. So mm. I don't know. We'll see. And then as far as currently playing, uh, I did boot up White Knight Chronicles again just to play a little bit. Got to my next area, which was the underbelly of greed. So 
essentially needed to find a little rabbit dude that looks like they're copying from Final Fantasy 11. Uh, it's almost like straight, you know, did you copy my homework situation for Final Fantasy 11? These little rabbit characters. And I uh, got to Underbelly of Greed. I haven't gone through and done anything yet, but I know it's a dungeon and I got to go through and clear out monsters. So that way we can get a bridge across to a cavern I need to go to, which will ultimately have more monsters. So that's where we are with that game. It's about, yeah, same place I was before for the most part. I did play a little bit more Returnal. This game is hard as hell, dude. Um, I could see why only it's only like 5% of players actually complete this game. Mm-hmm. And I could see why. So, yeah, you have those biomes like I talked about, right? And I was like, man, I had such a tough time getting through this like first boss, right? It was so difficult. Well, guess what? Even if you get to the second area of the game and you go ahead and die and you come back, you have to play the other boss again, mm-hmm. the first boss, which is just it's so hard to get to that one to begin with let alone get to the second one and have you the never played one. a roguelike before i have they all but work? like i i have but this is fucking hard dude <laughs> like this is a hard game so you know it's one thing if like the locations kind of stay the same and monsters are kind of similar this is like every single area changes it's different sometimes yeah. you Sometimes you're going against like these easy peasy monsters and you can upgrade your weapons. You're like, oh, yeah, we're all good. And other times you're like maybe three doors in with a pistol in hand. And oh, here's a giant ass boss that's going to kill you and shoot a bunch of beams at you while five other creatures attack you at the same time. And yep, you have no health left and you die. Yeah. Like that's. Get good at dodging and using your laser sword or something. I don't know. I, I have been. It's hard, dude. It's a hard game. So I don't know if I'll beat this one. Like, I want to really bad. I mean, like, it's, it's, a, it's a long burn. Like, these are supposed to be long burns. Like, you just have to focus on getting the next permanent upgrade. Yeah. And then just play for good runs. I mean, this is how, like, these kind of games work. You get a lot of bad runs and you get some good runs. And you got to just make the most of all those good runs and stack what you can. Yeah. I will say it's kind of nice to suspend cycle aspect. So... You know, if the baby's sleeping, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I got maybe 30 minutes in me to start a run. I can pause it and I can go take care of the baby and stuff. So that's actually a really cool component of this game that I'm excited about. And I mean, most games you could just pause. Mm, not really. I mean, if you think about the games that I play. So if I'm playing a PS1 RPG, there's not exactly a pause point on a PS1 RPG, which is oh, why when well, I was playing, I mean, there is the way I play them. Okay, you'd leave the console on all day. No, I have uh, preservation devices. Oh yeah, see, I don't use preservation devices because I have a lot of uh, items that are for preservation purposes uh, on a shelf. So yeah, like when I was playing Cardia, if I started a battle and a baby was crying, I had to turn it off. I couldn't do anything couldn't finish a battle like i would just have to start from scratch whatever scene that was so yeah it's it's not as easy without a preservation device so i can appreciate the preservation devices Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing i've been playing is of course magic the gathering arena um doing my dailies on that which is always fun exploring new decks learning about new cards um and yeah i'm at platinum again which is good uh they started me on silver rank one. So I really just had to get through gold rank for the most part. And then I'm in platinum. So no big deal. 
Platinum is, of course, much harder because you're playing against better players that are in is Platinum. Is there like a diamond above that or something? Yeah, there is a diamond and then there's a mythic. Uh, the issue with when you get to these areas is when you hit Platinum, each win only gives you one little thing. So in the earlier ones, like Gold and Below, if you win, you get like, basically you have to win, I think it's eight, no, four total matches in Gold. If you win four total matches, you get two little notches right or two if you win a match you get two notches if you lose a match you lose one notch you got to get eight total to move on to the next tier in platinum a win only gets you one of those so at least in gold you're like okay i can win a match oh if i lose one that's okay because if i win another one i go up two so you're kind of adding one for every loss and win right you can go 50 50 and make your way through once you have platinum you have to have at least like a 70% win rate, it feels like, or 80% win rate to get to the next tier in Platinum. Like, I'm stuck on Platinum 4. I'm probably three notches in. Um, but what ends up happening is I'll win three in a row, and then I'll lose two in a row, win two in a row, lose two in a row, and so on. It's just and back just and forth. nothing happens. Nothing happens. You get stuck, which is fine. Like, if I got stuck in Platinum forever, the difference is two extra bonus packs. So, I mean, I'm already locked in for like four booster packs during the 30 day period. So even if I keep playing and losing, I'm coming across more decks um, that'll kind of prep me for in-person magic and I'm gaining experience and uh, gold and all that stuff as I do dailies. So that's kind of what it comes like down to. the default icon and like board pet? Yeah, pretty much. I haven't bought any other board pets. I've got a that's Chandra. <laughs> I've got Chandra as my icon. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Like if it came across with like a, a Shiok, like, and I've seen people with a Shiok, which is disappointing that I can't buy her. Uh, that's really what I would go for if I was to buy a, um, an icon on there. But mm -hmm. other than that, no, I'm all good. I play with people I know. Um, I've got three friends on there to play. So I just kind of jump in and play with them every now and then. And that's it. So I'm just collecting gold for the newest set. When a newest set comes out, I am going to dump all the gold I've collected over the next like 20 days and just buy a crap ton of packs. So I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening. Cool. How about yourself? I didn't pick up anything, as is tradition. And mm -hmm. I've been playing more Final Fantasy IX. Actually, I beat the first disc. Oh. And then I ran into a conundrum because I only preserved the first disc. I didn't preserve the rest of them. And I was like, okay, well, uh, now I'll go in and preserve the second disc. And then once I've done that, I'll just make the change. And I was huh. like, how does one do a digital disc change? And I had to strokey beard for a while and do some Googling. And then I learned that I had to format it in a different way so that they were all in the same thing. And then there's a menu prompt to go in and do it. And it worked. And I'm like, cool. So now I'm in the second disc. Nice. Uh, so I could assume that you did not play darkness or Pikmin. Nope. Is it on the, the can you see the outline? I do see outline, Ryan. You see I'm those just, words on there. I'm saying for conversation purposes for those that don't know that we have an outline. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've only been playing final fantasy nine. Gotcha. It's, uh, it's, pretty good actually so i don't remember how far i got originally i still i still think i've gotten further in this game once before but i'm probably getting pretty close so um 
the story so far has got to be like one of my favorite Final Fantasies that I've played for sure. Like I played 12 and I just I was never into like what they were doing and talking about. Like it just never was that great for me. And I mean, yeah. seven is I mean, seven's pretty good, too. I really like 10, but I never beat 10. I'm planning to make this probably the first Final Fantasy game I've beaten since like Tactics Advance. Damn. And Tactics Advance is a good game, too, for nobody that's played it, for mm-hmm. anybody that hasn't played it. Um, I still need to beat Final Fantasy IX. I think I got to disc two years ago, and I just kind of put it down and never played it again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if this is one that you're like, yeah, I need to play this through because it's a good story, good game, I may jump on that bandwagon. I still got to do that with, um, uh, what's it called? Mystical Ninja game? What is Doimon? it? No, not Mystical Ninja. What's the one that you were playing that you got stuck? Oh, hit? Brave Fencer Musashi. Yeah, Brave Fencer Musashi. I don't know why yeah. I thought Mystical Ninja. I mean, they're kind of the same. Um, so okay, cool. I'm at the part where uh, they're at Clara's trunk after they went to Burmesia and it was all destroyed by the mages. And I like how the story like really diverges and it's like you follow different characters at different parts. And then it's got uh, this system where, you know, it'll have this active time event. You just hit select and it'll take you and show you like a cutscene of like what's going on with other people, you know, somewhere else. So, you know, sometimes you'll be with like just this half of the party or like right now the party split. So you've got like Garnet and Steiner and then you've got. Freya and Vivi and Queena and Zidane out doing their thing and it's kind of like Lord of the Rings-esque in that way where you know they were one group but they haven't really all been one group like they picked up some new people and split off and old people have come back into the picture that they thought were lost so like it's very I don't know I, I appreciate the story a lot more now than when I tried renting it when I was younger because I just thought it like looked cool or whatever. And it had awesome cutscenes. And that's probably where my lack of appreciation for it comes through. Because I did play it when I was much younger. Um, and it's kind of a downside, right? When you think about the games that you played when you were 12 years old, 10 years old, whatever it may be. In that some of them had some pretty deep stories. Like Chrono Trigger is a good example. If I played Chrono Trigger again right now, I'd probably think it's the best game in the world. Yeah, but I already beat it years ago. And in my opinion, it was okay, right? Mm-hmm. Chrono Cross, I loved, right? But if for me, back then, my age, story probably wasn't as big of a factor. It was more so the gameplay and the graphics, right? Yeah. So I would probably look at that and say, well, I prefer Chrono Cross over Trigger because of XYZ, when nowadays it might be reversed, right? Um so yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at it in that lens and that you're playing it again and saying like, I can appreciate it more than I did back then. Mm-hmm. So good reason to replay games. All right, let's look at our discussion topic for the week. Uh, you tossed this over my way. Um, and as we kind of talked before the podcast, it makes a lot of sense, actually. So the Switch 2 is going to be making everything old new again. So we're going to talk about what we may be able to do with all of these ports that could come down the the road. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing my speculating on the Switch 2 for a bit. I've been leaving comments on all my 
favorite YouTubers who are talking about the Switch 2, trying to press my idea out there into the world and see if I can maybe predict the future. I don't know. I, I predicted the Nintendo Switch back in like 2009. Ask my friends about it. <laughs> but the... Uh, Trust me, bro. <laughs> no, seriously. I came up with the... I, I was thinking about Metroid Prime and the Nintendo Wii. And I was like, what if you just put like a screen on the side of the Wii and then like it's not that big of a console. You could put like the buttons like into the case. And then if you just put the sensor bar like on top of it, like you could just like look through Metroid Prime like a window. And I sketched it all out in like a notebook and everything like way back in 2009. Time bam, to sue Nintendo, Ryan. Sue I know. Nintendo. Yeah. I know. They're dream stealers. They were stealing your dream for sure. So anyways, um, my new prediction for the Switch 2 is that you'll be able to take the Joy-Cons off and also lock them on the top and bottom of the console, making it a vertical screen so that they could port over like all the mobile games, basically, because they would have that aspect ratio. I would say that's a fair prediction to be able to have like a vertical screen for mobile style video games. And, and it would... just makes it that much different. Like well, it's an iPad at that point. And how would that hurt Nintendo? Right? Like it wouldn't, if you think about it, like if games are being ported from a mobile device over to a Nintendo switch, that's just more sales. Well, and Nintendo has like wildly popular mobile titles and they're trying to expand into that. So why not be able to put those on their own console as well as on phones? Yeah. Less money that they have to pay out to like Apple and Google. Well, or both, you know, they could do yeah. everything. Like, that's the thing. Sure. And then I was listening to an Arlo video. If you guys don't know Arlo, he's great. He's a, he's like a puppet that talks about video games. He's awesome. Never but heard of him. He was talking about um, his prediction for the Switch 2, like when it was coming out because of all these like rumors of the dev kits and stuff being in hands and everything now. So like everybody's pretty sure it's going to be 2024, just win in 2024. And so spring. Yeah. When he was talking about the reasons like for switch Two, he said something that I had never even really considered up to this point. And that's that. Yeah. People are saying it's probably going to be as strong as a PS4. And I'm like, cool. That'll be like a lot better. Like maybe they'll do like patches for, uh, Tears of the Kingdom so that it runs like buttery smooth and is like, you know, maybe a little enhanced or something. But then he was like, if it's as strong as a PS4, like with how many things have already been ported over to the Switch, like what will they be able to put on there? Like everything, like everything anybody could ever want is in the PS4 generation. And if they don't have to make those compromises to try to bring them over to the Switch, so that they do like cloud versions or whatever. They could just bring those games over and you could play like Elden Ring on the Switch too. Like, oh my God. Like, absolutely, yes. For like three, four hundred dollars, count me in. And it'll I won't have to like mess around with it like I would if I got a Steam Deck for $550. Like, sign me up. The only downside, I think, is that you and I both know how Nintendo would function on that. And all those games would be released at full price. Screw it. But but here's my thing. I already only own Elden Ring digitally on Xbox. I would definitely buy a cartridge of it for Switch 2 
that's already got like all the patches and everything and it'll just be like boom i can always put that in switch 2 and play it for the rest of my life hell yeah yeah that's assuming that it's on the cartridge though and you don't have to just you don't download it directly like yeah they but do nintendo's gonna make so much money off of oh, selling yeah. cartridges like for yeah. it still Absolutely. Like they're the only ones who are probably going to keep like physical media going in the future because they always make money off the cartridges because they're like the cartridge people too. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And I agree if you like it. It makes sense for Nintendo to do that. I think from a gamer perspective, um, if you had to choose between a new Switch and buying the games at full price or buying like a PS4 Pro, for example, at like 150 bucks at the time, because it's probably about what it would be. So like $150 for a used PS4 Pro and then getting like Elden Ring for $15 and another game for like $10. Is it worth it at that point in time to say, yeah, I'll play it on Nintendo Switch? Yeah, but in like 15 years, which one of those are you going to be able to like boot up fresh and like have a better experience with? I mean, the one that you can't get like the patches for anymore because the servers have been down. Or the one that's just all on the cartridge that you can play in your space car while it flies you to work. <laughs> space car. That's another prediction. Uh, it, well, I don't need to. I work at home. <laughs> so it works out for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I totally do. And I, I think it's a viable option for most people. I just think if like finances are a major factor here, the PS4, an original PS4 or Pro. Yeah, but everybody's already got one of those that wants one uh maybe i mean it just depends you know not everybody has a ps4 i mean most people like they're already we're several years into the five now like do they even sell new ps4s anymore no they don't but people still pick them up used yeah it's not like it's, it's, not like it's a dead console people buy them well i mean the they're still releasing games for it technically yeah so and that's I mean, the thing too like they're still releasing ps4 games now so, like, if they get this out, like, right at the tail end of that, maybe you see, like, something that's on the PS5 that's also on the Switch 2. And it's like, okay, well, now where's the line? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to get a lower quality version, obviously, on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that'll be a problem, right? You'll only see, like, certain releases are going to be on Nintendo's newer console versus the PS5, whatever comes out uh, down the road. So, yeah, it's it's obviously something that I think is a very valid prediction as to what is going to happen and what will happen with that newest Switch console. I mean, we did see it with uh, the Nintendo Switch with things like Dark Souls Remastered, right? So, like, there's games that have already had that occur for it um, where you've got this, like, backwards port, in a sense, that goes onto that console. So Yeah, I wonder if we'll have, like... I know people talk about, like, okay the series X and S have to have parody and that's going to hold some things back. Like it's holding back the Baldur's gate release. So if the series S is a lot more like, you know, a souped up PS4 pro than a PS five, then that kind of puts it a little bit closer to what the switch two is kind of going to be like. So maybe they'll have kind of like, Here's the high-end set of options for games for PS5 and Series X. Here's the mid for the Series S. And then here's like the low tier for the Switch 2. But basically, they're all kind of in the same realm, but just like very tiered in 
case of like how many npcs are present you know how good is the lighting what's the quality and just kind of tear those things up i don't know i don't know how all this stuff works that's why i watch youtube about it yeah i mean i don't i don't dive into it too much uh myself but i mean it makes sense on the outside looking in that if you're creating games, you're going to have different tiers on different consoles that are released. And like you said, there has to be some Microsoft requires parity, right on their console, which is why Baldur's Gate is kind of a pseudo exclusive right now on the uh, PS5 console wise. So we'll see down the road what happens here. Uh, There is a lot to come with Nintendo's new console whenever it does get released. And we're going to see if Ryan's prediction holds true. Hopefully we only need to speculate for like another six months. Hopefully before like May next year, we actually have some like information or I guess maybe going into June when we would normally have E3. E3. Yeah. Like probably looking at a summer direct there where maybe they'll announce it unless they decide to be like balls to the wall and drop it in March. I, I mean, I think we'll hear about something in September. That's what I think we'll hear. Yeah. Okay. That that would be my, that's my guess. So we'll hear something in September with it either being announced for a March release or a November 2024 release Mm -hmm. just before the holiday season. That'd be my guess. But Nintendo, it seems usually releases in springtime. That's why I'm still kind of holding to spring as that option. Cause that would still give six months to get everything kind of ready, marketed, and, and good to go. Mm-hmm. So I think September is when we hear an announcement. All right. Cool. All right. Let's dive into some news this week. So the first thing here is Call of Duty is now flagging cheaters in the kill feed in a real time. And this was uh, Ashley Barden or Barthan at Kotaku. So this essentially, yeah, essentially Affinity Ward has had some form of like anti-cheating in place already for call of duty. And it's in a form of like, they might have like fake bots and fake characters that come up on screen or they steal guns from the person cheating. But what they've gone ahead and done now is instituted, uh, you know, in, in a sense, a feature within the game online that when somebody is cheating, it essentially reveals that cheater to the, the kill lobby. And it's like, Hey, we've removed X cheater from the game. Um, and it, comes through and lets you know so a lot of people like this because well i mean why wouldn't they right there's an aspect of somebody's cheating and there's an unfair advantage going through and that's being stopped which is fair i hope it gives you a chance like when you get out of the game to like ban those people or like i would imagine the, or i would imagine they're i don't think uh, it noted in there but like i would imagine they should automatically just ban those individuals like well, like you should be able to go in and like block them from being able to like be in your lobby or something. Well, if you lobbies, identify them. Well, if they're public lobbies set up by Infinity Ward, right, or Activision, in in that case, like they wouldn't be able to enter anyways because they're banned. They can't play the game. Yeah, but so, maybe they get a a week ban. You don't ever want to play with that person again. You should be able to be like block this person. Yeah, I mean, you technically, could I guess like you can block people in Apex Legends. Uh, I believe from playing. So yeah, I get it. That'd be pretty cool if that's featured in there. Uh, The downside though, is people see it as a security risk because obviously if you're on PC and you're playing a game and that game is able to, you know, kind of tell what you're doing on your end within the game, uh, there are security risks that are 
you know, a concern for a lot of gamers as well. So I guess my question. Yeah, to they're you, concerned because they're cheating. No, that's not true. You could be a good player, but you don't want the system or the game to be able to recognize certain things that you're doing on your PC because that is, in fact, a security risk. Like, I don't cheat in games, but I don't know that I would want, you know, Infinity Ward to have access to certain things within my PC that would allow them to see, like, what am I doing with my mouse? What am I doing with my keyboard? Stuff like that. So it's more so a risk. It's not saying that it's happening. It's just a risk that could happen. And so... I can understand where people are coming uh, from in that respect. So my question to you is if let's just say the probability is moderate that there could be some sort of security breach that happens from this program as you're playing the game, is it worth it if you're a gamer to deal with cheating or does it make sense to just report cheaters and allow them to look into that cheater and do a potential ban based on that. Like, yeah, you're going to have the unfair aspect, but if you have the ability to block a certain player and report said player to where they may not be able to play again under that account, is that worth it, you know, versus a security risk and an automated process? You get what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't care. I, I don't have any sympathy for the cheaters. They could just get banned. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get banned regardless in that scenario. It's just more so like, is it an automated process that you prefer or a manual process? I don't know. I I think that it's like they, you can't ever trust a company. So, no. I mean, giving them access to anything always sucks. But like, if you're talking about getting rid of cheaters in like an effective way this definitely works and if you don't want that kind of stuff in your call of duty then play a different call of duty that doesn't have that stuff in it yeah or just like, don't play call of duty on console yeah like okay. i just like if you don't want cheaters in the game and you want the game to be super safe Develop a new way to do it and pitch it at them. I don't know. <laughs> this seems like a, a system that is functioning and people seem to say that it's a pretty big win. So, I mean, like the portion of people that are cheaters and the portion of people that really can like care about that level of security access, like, I, I don't know. You can't make everybody happy. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, then let's talk about uh, your favorite game. So the weirdest console with the worst Resident Evil 4 port is getting emulated. And Ryan, I think you need to experience this for us. You need well, to play this emulated version of Resident Evil 4 on the Zebo. Uh, so this is Zach Zwiezen at Kotaku. Yeah, so it seems like this is still quite a ways out. I had never heard of this, so I watched... Uh, a video on YouTube by who was it? Stop skeletons from fighting. Uh, he did like a postmortem on the console, and so I guess it is from Brazil. And there was so much like rampant, you know, selling of illegal gray market games and stuff there because I guess the import taxes are crazy high. So you need to be like pretty well to do to afford video games down in the old Brazil. And that's why I guess, you know, like old Sega systems have been like so popular for so long. And so this was a way to combat that. It's basically like a souped up phone as a console so that you have to buy everything through the network. 
It's all digital. No going on the street and buying, you know, some bootleg copy of, you know, Pokemon Gray for the Super Nintendo <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. So, yeah, uh, somebody is working to put that console into emulation now. So I guess it'll be an interesting thing. Like they say in the article, it's nice that somebody's doing that work. I mean, as much as we talk about game preservation as a joke and as much as it is a big concern that was recently brought up when the video game history foundation did that study, you know, this is not something that people ever probably would have thought of, but somebody did and somebody's putting in the work. So, you know, shout outs to that person. Yeah, uh, actually, it's in here. Somewhere. I I actually reached out to Barry of a premium edition and yeah, he was like, it's definitely an interesting console for sure. I was like, that's right up his alley in terms of like weird gaming stuff that's out there. Tuxality. in history. Tuxality. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, Ryan, the key thing here is that there is a version of Resident Evil four on this. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to play it. I mean, we have to uh, get you access to one of these consoles so you can play it <laughs> or to emulation. Well, the emulation isn't even going to be uh, released publicly for another year or so. And that's probably one of the higher end games. So they'll have to break that down, too, probably. So I'm guessing all that I we're know, years out from this happening. All I know is when it's out, you have to play it. All right. We it's will... Resident Evil 4. You've played what? Every single Resident Evil 4 version out there, right? No. Well, I think that's a goal. That's, I haven't played uh, the PC version or the PS2 version. You've played the PS2 version of Resident Evil 4? I don't think so. Haven't you? No? So. Oh. I don't think well, I've played the... Is there a 360 version? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah. but I, I have the GameCube, the Wii, and the PS4 version. Well, then this sounds like a new game. I don't like even own it games. on Switch. This sounds like a new game's resolution in the making. I don't think so. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Zebo, PS2, birth control thing, or baby it's test, not whatever Doom. it is. No, it's not Doom. I mean, at some point it will be. Play it on your microwave. <laughs> okay. You know, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get a new fridge in my house. I will buy one that has a screen on the front that kind of tells you what's happening a day, and I'm going to hack it. So it can play Resident Evil 4 and be like, Ryan, have you played Resident Evil 4 on the Samson? You're going to be so confused and be like, no, no, you have to come to my house. And you're going to be both shocked and appalled at a port onto a Samson fridge. I'm sure I will be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's dive into some Magic Speaking Gathering. Speaking of here. shocked and appalled. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. So Magic Gathering is crossing over Fallout, Final Fantasy and more. This is Game Rant Dalton Cooper. I am like so disappointed here. Like I get why they're doing it because you kind of you don't want things to stay stale. Those are right? easy marks. Yeah, that's all it really is. And of course, it's not going to be like Magic the Gathering, Final Fantasy. And like that's how it's released. Like March of the Machines, I think, is based off of uh, whatchamacallit, um, that stupid game, that Battle Royale shooter, Fortnite. It's based off Fortnite, I believe, um, if I recall. So like they have these crossovers that have been happening for a while. Like there's a street fighters walking dead. They do all these crossovers. Um, I don't know if these are like standard sets, if they're going to be, um, talk about it a tiny bit in here. 
They I know say like that some the, are going to be commander. Yeah. So the fallout various factions will be featured in commander decks. So that's getting kind of like the 40 K treatment. I'm guessing like you'll probably have like a vault dweller one and a super mutant one and uh ghouls ghouls one and then like maybe like uh humans no like they'll have like the the rnc or the i forget who the bad guys are oh i know what you're talking about yeah yeah something like that so they'll probably do like four commander decks that do that and then it says magic uh will cross over with final fantasy and it was confirmed that final fantasy cards will be usable with magic the gathering arena and they will have all main series final fantasy games represented so i was wondering how they would be doing that one but i would love to see and i'm sure that it'll happen because you know the secret layer drops are also out of control like i even stopped looking i've only bought one secret layer thing (laughs) and so i never got into that as much as i thought i would so i'm glad i didn't because there's just so many but i would love to see like some 8-bit like black mage fighter white mage thief cards that would yeah be i mean i think it'll be pretty cool in general but it is getting a little out of hand right like the originality aspects here well um it's so stupid how they announced this like they are just like grasping at these straws like they're just like what what can we bring in now and it's like oh yeah fallout and final fantasy like those are easy marks you know what they should be doing is bringing in much older stuff and older aspects of a game right like you had banding you had um uh what do you call it shadow like different features like that from years and years ago that in today's game i think they would be popular and fun right to dive into some of the old and they haven't been doing anything like that they've been going through like innistrad and bringing out cards from that and the phyrexians and i love the phyrexians by all means i I love that completely and the poison counters and all that Mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite parts of magic when it first came out but there's so many cool things that came out years ago like if you were to refresh the old Nicobolus card and I don't know if he's on reserve list. I don't think I doubt he is, but if you were to refresh cards like that and just have like crazy cool, like fun stuff that would be in legacy back then and bring it into standard, I think it'd be pretty cool because like standard, you have to kind of play off of things, right? So like if you brought in like, I'd say dream halls, right? It's an older card. I used to love playing. What can you bring in that would like counteract that? But what could you do with that type? Like, there's a lot of things I think that could be done with older cards. And some of those older cards are not exactly like super strong either. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of older cards that are actually fairly weak or, you know, not too big. But if you brought in like those, even like original characters from back then, right? Like older magic characters and just bring out those sets. I would love to see like a new stronghold, for example. Something tied to that world would be pretty mm-hmm. badass. But yeah, I mean, that's just kind of, where we're at right like jumping into the pop culture component of what is popular and i it's it's okay it's not my favorite but i think they could be doing better yeah and i mean what's with them 
announcing this out so far ahead of time. Like it seems like they got that Final Fantasy partnership and they were like, okay, that's that'll happen in 2025. What else could we do in 2025? And then they were like, I don't know, just throw out a bunch of code names and then also yeah, make up some code names for 2026. And then they're like, we announced everything all the way through 2026. It's like, no, you didn't, man. You you said some things were going to happen sometime during 2025. Yeah. It's you announced like, hey, everything through the end of next year is what how, you did. How do we get people excited? Okay, well, we're going to announce a bunch of stuff for 2026. Yeah, but we don't know what we're doing. Ah, just throw some code words out there. It'll think that we did. Like, so you have tennis and wrestling and like baseball and other crap and golf, I think is a code word. I don't know. It's it's stupid. There's like eight different code words on there. Does it mean it's going to be that? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we're going to WWE crossover of Magic the Gathering where the Rock is going to be your commander. I have no idea. I saw John Cena. <laughs> what? I can't see that card. Um, yeah, he's got uh what's the one where they come in like invisible oh he like phases out or whatever or he's hex proof like you can't see him because he's hex proof yeah when john cena enters the field all other john cena's in the field have hex proof um so or shroud something along shroud. Those lines. shroud you can't see him so yeah I, it is what it is man that's magic is kind of it's gone very mainstream which is okay um but at the same time it kind of sucks yeah so. they definitely jumped the shark watsi and hadbro they're just being greedy like yeah, yeah. i i'm i was talking to john before he even started he was asking me about going and play in standard and i'm like dude i'll do draft and pre-release but like that's as far as i'm taking my relationship with magic at this point like it's to fun buy... to go out and do that but when we do drafts i need to just buy your draft cards just so i don't have to buy them offline mm-hmm. wait all right uh, inflation deflation time so we played mario is missing on the nes this was developed by software toolworks it was published by the software toolworks designed by andrew iverson and henrik uh Markarian. it was released in july of 1993 we should have played this in july um it is an educational game reception is a four to eight out of ten roughly and uh you said on here i don't understand I don't. Okay. So synopsis is Bowser has kidnapped Mario and locked him somewhere in his giant castle in Antarctica. So it's up to Luigi and Yoshi to find him. And how do you do this? Well, you travel the world and you go to different countries as Luigi where you ask people clues. And those people will say, you know, oh, I really like pasta. And for some reason, you find yourself in Rome all of a sudden because, well, you like pasta. Um, and when you know that clue, you can use Yoshi in this weird globe looking map of the entire world. And then you somehow end up in Rome and Luigi can hop on you. And then you can start destroying Koopas, capturing artifacts for people within these countries and returning them for additional information. You don't uh, need to Yoshi. help find Mario. No, you don't need Yoshi, but Yoshi's kind of nice. So he's faster and it's Yoshi. So how do you seem find that much faster? I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. So you get Yoshi and it's fun. So it's not fun. It is not really fun. No, it is. It is purely educational, but it is kind of cool when you go to those information desks and they're like, Oh, we're looking for the Statue of Liberty's arm. 
what is in the hands of the Statue of Liberty? And if you answer wrong, they're like, that's not the artifact we're looking for. And it's like, but I, I have the artifact in my hand. Like, don't you reckon? Why am I answering questions when I have the physical artifact in my hands right now? So it, to a, to an extent, it doesn't make any sense, right? But looking at the educational component of this and comparing it to Blue's Clues and Mrs. Spider's Tea Party, which one is more educational and fun? I Blue's would Clues. say, okay, that one was pretty good. But I would say Mario is Missing is going to give you more education um, no. in some of the things that it covers. It's more, so. it's, it's more like, geography and like it's location based. It's just about stuff. Like it doesn't, it's not knowledge. Like just because I now for the next two more hours from now, we'll probably remember that there's 102 stories in the Empire State Building. Like, well, did you know that Prometheus was looking over the rink at uh, uh, Rockefeller? Yeah. I didn't know this. I learned this today and Mario was missing. No, I didn't know. Okay, I didn't either. Um, I didn't yeah. get that question. Yeah, I got but that yeah, question. It was, uh, it was an experience uh, that I remembered. I've seen a, several people that I watch on YouTube have made Mario is missing videos. I feel like it's a pretty decent topic to explore, but it's probably been covered by enough people now that I don't know that anybody new will even make videos in the future on Mario is missing or if they've already all been said and done. But basically, when you're a child and you go into the blockbuster, which I guess will never happen again either. <laughs> and there's no way this game's ever going to get re-released for anything either. <laughs> So, yeah, no, everybody in the future is protected from this experience. But when I was a child and I went into the Blockbuster looking for a game to rent, I was like, Mario, he's missing. I got to see what's going on here. <laughs> and then I got <laughs> I home and up. I never found out what was going on there <laughs> because it was not a good game. It was not a good experience. It was a dupe. I could, oh my God, I could just imagine you as a, like you, there's no internet and phone for you to just kind of quickly jump on nope. and be like, just what's Mario's going on missing. here? What's about, the, like, where's the manual for the game? No, it's just, it's literally it's a clamshell. It's, it's a clamshell box. <laughs> yeah, it's a clamshell box. It's sitting on a shelf. You might have the manual. You might not. You probably didn't. So you can't even check it out, see what it's all about. The back of the box has Luigi and Mario's missing. Probably doesn't tell you much either, if at all. And the blockbuster clerk is just kind of laughing internally because he's older than you and knows it's garbage and you're going to rent it and be disappointed. Right. So that is actually a great story. I can't remember a time when I had a shitty game like that uh, growing up. Oh, man. Uh, it, blockbuster. It was the worst. Like, And see, that was an experience I'd had with Final Fantasy IX, basically, too, because I played the game and I got to a point where I didn't know where the door was that you had to walk towards the screen to go out of. And so I just never made it past like the very intro part of the game. You know, Ryan, I think back when I initially started this podcast, like literally within episodes one through five, I want to say I played Silver Surfer. I believe. I don't remember if it was on the podcast, but I don't think you have played Silver Surfer. So I propose that next week we play Silver Surfer so we can just get two horrible games out of the way. And right. we'll have a good and we'll have a good laugh over it. 
I think this will do. All right. But, well, let me finish talking about this one first. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So breaking it down to brass tacks, we're talking about the NES version today here, folks. Uh, that goes complete inbox for one forty four fifty six. That's peaking right now in August 2023 and it's trending up. You should have bought sooner. And then a loose copy will run you 3152. That peaked at 3183 back in February of 2023. That is also trending back up. Uh yeah, that's that's crazy. The most expensive version is the NES version, uh completed box, and then the cheapest, it's like 1294 loose on Super Nintendo. So that's where I mistakenly played it. That's the one I would recommend getting. I would never tell anybody to touch this game within $20 of a $31 poll. <laughs> so one cool thing about this game, though, to point out is that it's very much Super Mario World, actually. No, it's it yes, is, yes, it is. It is an abomination. No, no, no. So there are features in this game that are in Super Mario World, like Bowser's Castle, for example, the doors, that big red metal door. That's Super Mario World. Same yeah, style. Just, it uses assets. Yeah, basically. It uses assets for or now Super Mario World use assets of this game, I imagine. Um, no, didn't it? This came no. out on the NES. All right. We're going to Wikipedia this bastard. It didn't so. cr- chronologically come out. It came out at the same time. On both, All right. it was a simultaneous release. They downported it. It came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna say Super Mario World. You're probably right, and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Came out in. Come on, Wikipedia. You're supposed to open it up. Son of a bitch. Okay, so Super Mario World is an asset that is in Mario is missing. That said, though, I still think it's pretty cool how they pulled in uh, some of those pieces. And, you know, I just realized I'm pretty sure I have Mario's Missing on Windows or Macintosh. I'm pretty sure. Too bad we can't play it on there, Ryan. We could have experienced both of them. And, uh, and that one's very different. Is it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, one we'll of them is really that. different, and it has the... The Ouija is from there. So let's look at, um, I'm just going to go over to development release stuff here really quick uh, to kind of give a little more background here. So basically, Nintendo was trying to capitalize on educational games, which were popular at that time. So Ryan, you probably were enjoying educational games, and this one caught your attention very quickly. (laughs) Um, So Mario's Missing actually marks Luigi's first role, uh, first starring role in a video game followed by the Luigi's Mansion series. So if you're looking from a historical standpoint, this is kind of noteworthy, you know, Luigi being the star of the show and trying to find Mario. Um, Let's see. They released the NES and SNES versions in June of 1993. And then by October, they published uh, the NES and SNES versions in Europe. So those people in Europe, if they bought it after seeing reviews in the United States, I, I don't feel sorry for them. To your point, SNES version used audio and visual assets from Super Mario World. Um, and then the DOS version uses stretched out character animations, unlike the later versions. And then the last piece here is in the United States, the software toolworks release a Macintosh version on CD on CD-ROM and floppy disk. Uh, that's a little plastic disk for people that don't know. It looks like a square. It's not actually <laughs> like you can't see the disk um, in 1994. 
Under the title Mario's Missing CD-ROM Deluxe Edition, the new version included 127 QuickTime clips featuring 99 landmarks like the Golden Gate Bridge and the Great Wall of China. So you're right. It, uh, it was different and it had a lot more going for it. So I would say, uh, have you pulled up, did you pull up the Mario's Missing uh, Super Deluxe version? I'm kind of curious what the price point on that is. Uh, I mean, I got it up here. Mario there's, is missing. There's no other versions. There's PC, Super Nintendo, NES is all that's yeah, yeah. on price. So P- okay, so you can pick up a copy of this game for $21.50 on an outdated PC disc. Just keep that in mind. So I'm still a few. I wouldn't touch it with a $31 foot pole mm-hmm. or whatever the hell you said. Um, so loose copy, $12.94, SNES. I'm going to go ahead and say game is inflated on this on the Nintendo, obviously. And uh, it's probably also inflated on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. This is 100%. not a game worth owning. I mean, it is if you got young kids. No. Guess, guess what my son is going to play, Ryan? Better games than this, I hope. Oh, we got to all start somewhere. So it'll probably be, hey, you want to get good at platforming? We'll start at Mario's Missing. You'll get super angry at the quality of this game, and then we'll jump you right into Super Mario Bros. 2 because that's even worse. And then you can graduate and play Super Mario Bros. 1. There you go. And do it three. right. The way yeah, we do did it, it right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not really. Actually, I think that is kind of the way I did it. I played Mario 2 first. So, all right. Next week, it's Silver Surfer on the NES. Uh, we'll be recording in person, so we will get a live reaction that day, and it uh, should be fun. Sounds good to me. Yep. All right, this has been episode 247 of the Game of Players podcast. My name's Ryan. And I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. 